All right, church, we come now to the preaching of the Word of God this morning. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5, and we're going to continue in our sermon series on the Ten Commandments. We come this morning to commandment number 6. It's what we're going to be diving into together this morning. And so what we're going to do is we're going to call on the name of the Lord together. And we're going to ask for God's help as we give attention to God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege this morning to worship you in your church with your saints, Lord. God, we thank you for the gospel door, the new and living way that you have opened for us through the death of Christ to come near to you and to bless your name. And Lord, that's our desire. All across this room, Lord, we pray, hallowed be your name. God, we want you to be exalted and lifted up as King and as Lord and as Father and as good and merciful and righteous and seen for all you are, Lord, all your holy attributes and worshiped. And so, God, we ask that you would do that even now, that you would reveal your glory and your nature to us through your word. We are your creatures, Lord, and you are our maker. We are your servants, and you are our master, and we love you, Lord. And we desire to be taught by you. Lord, we desire to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, and we pray, God, that you would use your word today to conform us, to mold us, to shape our minds, and to shape our hearts. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our text this morning is Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 17. This is God's word to us. You shall not murder. Maybe, the sh- maybe one of the shortest public readings of Scripture you will ever hear at GCC. Four words, you shall not murder. This is the sixth commandment. This is what we're diving into together this morning as the people of God. I want to remind us as we begin that murder is an ancient sin. It's almost as old as the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 4 mentions the sin of murder twice through the sin of Cain and also through the sin of Lamech. And if you ever wondered how fast sin spreads in our fallen world, The breach of the sixth commandment is a really good example of that. The third human being on planet earth was a cold-blooded killer, a murderer named Cain who killed his brother. One of his descendants was named Lamech. You meet him also in Genesis chapter 4. He was a wicked murderer who wrote the first gangster rap song in Genesis 4 bragging about taking another man's life. And so we see that this sin is ancient. It's part of 
the fruit that comes from the fallen, rebellious human heart. And this bloodshed has continued in every generation since Genesis chapter 4. All throughout human history, this is one of the manifestations that we see of rebellion against God. The sixth commandment is just about the only commandment that everybody seems to agree to initially. Okay? What do we mean? Well, homicide is, the, is against the law in every country in this world. So at least at a certain level, everybody seems to agree that murder is wrong, but one of the things that you're going to see this morning is as we take a closer look at this commandment and the broad nature of this commandment, that generalized agreement to the wrongness of murder is mere lip service in the world that we live in. This commandment is blatantly violated in many different ways, and we're going to dig into that together this morning. Let's begin here by defining and clarifying what is prohibited in the sixth commandment. What is prohibited? One of the ways to get at this issue is to note the way that this commandment has been translated in the English history of the Bible. For example, the King James Version of the Bible translates it this way, Thou shalt not kill. Your ESV this morning translates this phrase, you shall not murder. Okay? Now you don't have to stare at those long to realize those are different things. Which is right and why does it matter? Okay, which is right and why does it matter? The Hebrew word here is ratzah. It refers to all unlawful acts that result in the taking of human life. It includes cold-blooded murder, but, it, but the word here is broad enough to include death that results from unlawful neg- negligence or unlawful carelessness. If you look closely at the footnote in your ESV Bible, that's exactly what your ESV says. An example of the broadness of the sixth commandment can be found in Exodus 21. Listen to verse 28. Moses says, When an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned, and its flesh shall not be eaten. But the owner of the ox shall not be liable. But if the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past, means this has happened before, and its owner has been warned, but has not kept it in, and it kills a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and the owner shall also be put to death. This is an example of the owner of the ox being guilty of murder through his negligence, his refusal to act to protect human Life. You see another example of this broadness in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 8. These are the ancient building codes in Israel. Moses says this, When you build a new house, you shall make a parapet for your roof, railing, 
guards around a flat roof, that you may not bring the guilt of blood upon your house if anyone should fall from it. And so we see that even building codes in Israel were designed to protect life. You can be guilty of murder through cold blood. You could also be guilty of murder through negligence. And so the broadness of the sixth commandment reminds us that we today, we are responsible to do what we can to prevent harm coming to others. This includes things like requiring railings on the balconies of beach condos. Okay, imagine your summer vacations, 15 stories up on the beach with no with no railings on those balconies. Okay? They're more than just common sense measures. They're they're required uh, as part of us loving our neighbor, preventing harm coming to image bearers of God. These include things like putting up fences around swimming pools so children don't fall in them. It includes things like not driving 70 miles an hour in neighborhoods where children play. It includes things like not texting and driving. Okay, these are all ways that we can preserve life, the life of our neighbor, and they're covered by the scope of this commandment, you shall not murder. We see that the breach of the sixth commandment, there was a due process in Israel. In other words, you weren't guilty of breaking the sixth commandment just because somebody said you were guilty. There was a judicial process to establish guilt. And the clearest place to see this is in Numbers 35. In Numbers 35, verses 9 through 34, this Hebrew word ratzah, translated murder in Deuteronomy 5, it's used 19 times in these 20-some-odd verses. Okay? And this gives us legislation dealing with what's supposed to happen when one commits manslaughter. Whether they meant to kill another human being or they didn't mean to kill another human being, Moses lays out the process, the judicial process. Number one, he was, he was to flee to what is called the city of refuge. And we already have seen an example of this in Deuteronomy chapter 4. The cities of refuge were established as safe havens to secure a just trial for the one who had committed manslaughter. He was to flee to the city of refuge so he could stand before the congregation for judgment for this crime. If it was established that the man killed with intent, meaning with hatred and enmity. He was pronounced a murderer and he was put to death in Israel. And this could only happen, Moses said, on the basis of eyewitness testimony. Okay? It was a serious judicial process. But if the manslayer killed without intent or he wasn't guilty of negligence, he was delivered from the death sentence. And he was required to stay in the city of refuge until the death of the high priest to protect this man from the avenger of blood. And so we see this process. Okay. Now we refer to this, the prohibition of the sixth commandment as prohibiting any unlawful acts that result in the unlawful taking of human life. 
But even that definition presupposes lawful taking of human life. And I want to clarify that the sixth commandment does not prohibit this biblical category. I want to mention three things here. Self-defense, just war, and capital punishment. In other words, we want to understand God's word rightly. We want to understand what God says in his word. What are God's commandments? We want to order our minds as God would have us to shape our minds. And we don't want to interpret this wrongly that would put us in contradiction with other truths in the Bible, other places in the Bible. These forms of killing are permitted as lawful because the intention behind this category is to protect human life, to preserve human life. An example of this would be Exodus 22, verse 2. Listen to Moses. If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. If a dad in Israel hears somebody breaking in his house, And all of a sudden he's fearful for his life and his family's life and he doesn't know what's coming and he strikes the intruder and the intruder dies. Moses said there's no blood guilt for that. This is the principle of self-defense in the Bible. That same principle, more complicated, admittedly, can be applied on the national level, meaning that it is not unlawful to kill enemy combatants in war provided that the war is a just war. And that's not an easy thing to do. That is not an easy thing to do. Okay. Also, in this category, is the matter of social justice that the Bible commands, notice that I didn't say allows, the Bible commands that the death penalty, known as capital punishment, be applied to murderers. Okay? This commandment is as old as the Noahic covenant. This isn't just a Moses thing. This is, a, this is as early as Genesis chapter 9. God's word says this. Genesis chapter 9 verses 5 and 6. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning. For the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. And so the sixth commandment does not prohibit this biblical category that we would refer to as the lawful taking of human life. Now, capital punishment is sometimes opposed from within the church. So I want to spend some extra time on this one. It's sometimes opposed by, I would say, misguided Christians who through faulty logic, they equate capital punishment with murder. I mentioned several arguments here. Sometimes it is argued that because the end is the same, okay, the result is the same, a dead human being, that murder is equivalent to capital punishment. In other words, If the act results in the same end, then the acts are equally wrong. 
And one of the things I want to make you aware of as a follower of Jesus Christ is the error of moral equivalency. Okay? There is a wrong way of thinking, faulty logic, that can lead you to conclude that two acts are morally equal that aren't equal at all. And this is an example of faulty logic and wicked moral equivalency. Think about this. That same logic that the acts are the same if they lead to the same end. This would naturally lead to the conclusion that kidnapping and imprisonment are both the same. Why? Because they lead to the same end. They have the same result. They both are examples of holding human beings against their will. And so putting criminals in prison is the same as kidnapping children. Okay? It's, it's, it's the error of moral equivalency. It's wicked, faulty logic, and it's morally wrong. Okay? Sometimes the argument is framed this way. That the atoning death of Christ has abolished the cap, all capital punishment. This was the argument of German theologian Karl Barth. But think about this. By this same logic, okay, Jesus paid your fine on the cross, therefore there's no death penalty anymore, there's no capital punishment. That same logic would also mean that all, listen, all temporal judicial penalties for sin would need to be abolished because Jesus paid your fine no parking tickets anymore no fines anymore no crime anymore no prisons anymore everybody set free because Jesus paid your fine this is absurd and it's morally wrong it's morally wrong now the gospel asserts that Jesus can forgive you of any sin, any sin, every sin. The blood of Jesus can wash you clean. But the forgiveness the gospel gives us does not automatically remove temporal penalties for the crimes that even Christians have committed. Okay, that's faulty logic, right? Last argument, sometimes it is argued that because human governments make mistakes in applying the death penalty, it should never be applied at all. Now, this is a half-truth, okay? And, and, and the half-truth is this, that governments have made mistakes in applying capital punishment. And that is wrong. That is unrighteous, okay? And it's wicked. And we should be grieved by that. But the half-truth is this, is the conclusion, therefore, because governments have been wrong before, they should never practice capital punishment at all. But this logic is faulty, again, because it assumes that God has given the sword to infallible human governments. And listen, that's, not, that's just not the way God's world works. God gives authority to fallible husbands. God gives authority to fallible parents. God gives authority to fallible governments and kings and governors. And they are held accountable for how they use that authority. In other words, the fallibility 
of the judicial system does not negate the necessity of the God-given consequence. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Now, one of the clearest arguments for capital punishment is to trace it all the way across the Bible. It's older than Moses. We see it in in Genesis chapter 9. But it also continues into the new covenant age, okay, after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you see this in Romans 13. Now, one of the things I want to mention here is in Romans 12, Verse 19, Paul gives this command to Christians. He says this, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. And so the Bible is really clear. That's God's word to us. We cannot, as individuals, take justice into our own hands. No Christian has the right or the authority to administer capital punishment in his own name. As an individual, God's word says, never avenge yourselves. You do not have the authority to execute vengeance. So that's clear. Yet, five verses later in the book of Romans, Paul says this about human governments. Romans chapter 13, verse 4, if you do wrong, be afraid For he does not bear the sword in vain. So notice that what God's word says about human government. God's word says that human government has a sword. That, by the way, is an instrument of death. It's 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 a symbol that human governments have been given the authority to kill. Not a blanket. License to kill. They have the authority to take life lawfully. They have a sword. And that authority of the sword, in Romans 13, is said to have been given to human governments, listen, by God. God is the one who gave the authority of the sword. And then Paul warns us that magistrates and governments, they don't bear that sword in vain, he says. Meaning that this is not an empty thing. It's not a theoretical thing. It's not a vain authority that human governments have received from God. No empty threat. And then what does Paul say that they are to do with that sword? Romans 13 verse 4 calls the magistrates the servant of God, listen, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So notice the move in five verses. Christian, as an individual, you never avenge yourself. So false logic concludes all vengeance in this world is wrong, which Paul says, nope. Five verses later, the magistrate is quoted again, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So Christians can't carry out personal vengeance, but governments and judges are commanded 
to not bear the sword in vain. They are to function as instruments pouring out God's wrath on those who commit murder. And so according to the biblical standard, any sovereign human government that does not execute murderers is fundamentally unjust. We hear all the time in our world about social justice, social justice, social justice, social justice. A foundation stone of biblical social justice is the protection of human life. That's why God has given authority to our government. I'll never forget a powerful reminder in 2017, I was gripped, like many of you, with the murder of, of a six-year-old boy in Jackson, Mississippi, named Kingston Frazier. If you remember that story, he was kidnapped in a car theft on Kroger on I-55. A man stole the car, didn't realize a little boy was in the car. As he was Stealing the car and driving away, he finds out a six-year-old is in the car with him. And instead of pulling over the car, letting the kid out, or dumping the car and leaving the kid in the car, the man murdered a six-year-old boy in cold blood. And I remember where I was when I heard that news. And I remember weeping before God of the evil in our city that was right in front of our face. I remember at the time my oldest son was the exact same age as this little boy. And I just couldn't square it in my mind face to face with that kind of evil in this world. Medical examiners testified that Kingston was shot four times at point-blank range. Court documents show that the officers found the little boy in the fetal position in the back floorboard of his mom's car with his life taken from him. The killer's name was Byron McBride. Two years later, he confessed to the murder, and our government gave him the sentence of life without parole. That was the sentence for his crime. One of the questions for Christians to wrestle through, is that just? Is that a just punishment for that man's sin? Life without parole? Kingston Fraser was killed at six years old. This man could die in prison at 96 years old. Is that just? And everything in you knows the answer to that question is no, that's not just. No, that's not just. That man deserves the death penalty. He still deserves the death penalty according to God's word. And our state is unjust for not seeking to impose it for that wicked murder. It is foundational responsibility of our government to put to death those who destroy human life. This is one of the examples where we see this conflict between worldly justice and biblical justice. God's word defines justice. Genesis chapter 9, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Now, it is not a contradiction 
for Christians to desire sinners to be saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ and at the same time desire that God's standards for righteousness be upheld in our society. That's not a contradiction. Just like it's not a contradiction that the same God who saves sinners through Jesus Christ has revealed the just penalty for murder and His word is capital punishment. Now, moving on to the question of why. So there's broad agreement that we shouldn't kill, okay? But let's move into the question of why is this wrong? Why is murder wrong? It's got to be more than something intuitive. We just know it. And really there are two basic answers to this question. Why is murder wrong? First is the Christian answer, and it's simple, and it comes straight from God's Word. Genesis chapter 9 again, verse 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Listen, for, F-O-R, for. That means Moses is about to ground that commandment in this clause. For God made man in his image. Why is murder wrong? The Christian answer is this simple because human beings are made in the image of God. Murder is an image destroyer, an image of God destroyer. What I hope you see this morning is this is the only answer that can adequately ground the value of all human life. Not just some human life, but the only thing that can ground the value and dignity of everybody is the doctrine of the Imago Dei, the image of God stamped upon us by our Creator. The life of God's image bearers belongs to Him. He is sovereign over our life and our death. First Samuel verse. 1 Samuel 2, verse 6, the Lord kills and the Lord brings to life. God asserts His authority over us. An example of this is Ezekiel 18, verse 4. God says, behold, all souls are mine. Murder is wrong because human beings belong to God and they bear His image. This image of God worldview, the Christian worldview... It's the only foundation that can ground a culture of life. In other words, if you want to be part of a culture that honors life, values life, the only way to get there is through the Christian worldview. The only way to get there. By contrast, the unbeliever's answer to why murder is wrong is necessarily pragmatic and utilitarian. Why is murder wrong? The unbeliever says, because it's just not right. We just know it's not right. But the response is, yeah, but why? Why? That's all it can do is assert it's wrong, but it can't ground it in why. Why is it wrong? To which the unbeliever could respond, we know it's wrong to harm other people. And murder is the ultimate harm. To which we respond, Sir, 
I thought you held to an evolutionary understanding of creation. Sir, I thought you held to a naturalistic worldview, an atheistic worldview. Did I just hear you say that we know it's wrong to harm other people? When's the last time you watched the Discovery Channel? The strong kill the weak every single day in the animal kingdom. Every single day. And if that's all we are as human beings is highly evolved species, then the question still stands. Why is it wrong for us to do what the animals do every single day? You need to understand that without God, the entire second table of the Ten Commandments is negotiable, unstable. The logical conclusion of unbelief is that human beings have, listen, no inherent dignity. We only have the dignity that other human beings or society as a whole ascribes to us. Our our dignity is conditional on other human beings saying we have dignity. Russian novelist Dostoevsky writes this as a famous line. He says, if there is no God, everything is permissible. Think about the terrifying conclusions of unbelief. If there is no God, then there is no ground for neighbor love. None. No ground to honor your father and mother. No ground to honor human life. No ground to honor marriage, honor property, honor truth. Without God, the command not to murder is unstable. This is why the unbelieving worldview is the foundation not of the culture of life, but the culture of death. It comes down to this, the way you can get to the difference between these two ways of viewing the world is simply this. Who gets to decide if your life is worth protecting, God or man? Who gets to decide? That's your choice. The last hundred years have been a testimony to this truth. As we have progressively rejected God, at the same time, modern man has learned to break the sixth commandment on an industrial scale. So side by side with the industrial revolution... We have industrialized death and murder. A few examples of this. Trench warfare of World War I to the Nazi death camps of World War II. The gulags of the Soviet Union to the killing fields of Cambodia. Genocide in Rwanda. Genocide in Sudan. Bloody totalitarian regimes in China and North, North Korea. Millions upon millions upon millions of image bearers slaughtered. In other words, blood guilt 
has come upon modern man like never before in human history. Consider this, that just four individuals in the last hundred years are estimated to have caused the death of 175 million people. Hitler, Stalin, Lenin, and Mao. Four men kill almost a quarter billion. This has been the century of the megabomb. Nations have used it to kill indiscriminately between combatants and non-combatants, soldiers and civilians, all the firebombing of World War II and the terrorist bombing in our modern world. We talked about governments bearing the sword. Well, today, nine countries across the globe bear the nuclear sword with the ability to murder millions of image bearers of God in a matter of minutes. There's no denying that we live in a culture of death that sells life cheaply, such as our modern world. We have also seen the rise of new philosopher kings in our day. Medical doctors who have given murder the protection of modern medicine. The sad reality is that oftentimes in our modern world, the devil wears a lab coat and goes by the name Dr. So-and-so. We are constantly bombarded with, sure, it's wrong to kill people, but unborn humans are not people. And there are certain types of genetic disabilities or terminal sicknesses that can make someone's life not worth living. And so we can kill these humans without any culpability. Never mind the fact that the ancient version of the Hippocratic Oath contained a clause forbidding abortion. The ancient version of do no harm included these words, I will not give a substance to a woman to cause an abortion. These new philosopher kings claim the right to decide by decree whose life is worthy of protection. And the doctors in our day need to be reminded, they need to be chastened with the truth of God's word. They need to be reminded that going to medical school makes you a doctor and not a deity. Doctors have the privilege of doing good every single day, but they do not have the right to define what is good. That right is God's alone. And to our believing brothers and sisters who work in the medical industry, on the front lines of this truth war, you might feel like an outcast in your workplace of a weirdo. I'm the only one here that believes this stuff about the image of God and what God's word says about life. But I want to remind you that you are a warrior in the kingdom of God. And part of the reason that God has placed you in that profession is to contend for the faith, once for all, delivered to the saints. 
The world has never seen death on the scale of the global abortion industry of the last hundred years. Just in America, just us, over a million babies have been aborted every year for the last 50 years in our nation. And today, the numbers are almost impossible to wrap our arms around because now you can walk in your local pharmacy and pull morning-after pills right off the shelf. We can't even track this stuff anymore. In Eastern Europe, the abortion rate is the highest in the world. And at the height of Soviet control the number of aborted babies was twice the number of born babies every single year. The sheer scale of this industry of death is unthinkable. We can't even wrap our minds around it, and yet it's undeniable right in front of us. Culture of death. The God who said, you shall not commit murder will vindicate this shedding of blood. Few would dare to make the argument that it's okay to kill a child. And so our world has found this workaround. And the workaround is this. The unborn child is not a human person. Therefore, it's not worthy or deserving of protection for human life. But God's word is clear on this issue. Unborn children are image bearers of God and to kill them in the womb is to commit murder. An example of this is found in Exodus 21. Many, many people are familiar with this biblical phrase, life for life. Very few people are familiar with the biblical context in which that biblical phrase is used and the biblical context is dealing with the life of an unborn child. Listen to Moses, Exodus 21, verse 22. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out. So he sets the stage for the scenario. If there is no harm... Then the one who hit her shall be fined. But God's word says this. But if there is harm, then you shall pay, listen, life for life. In other words, if that unborn baby's life is taken away, the penalty is death for the one who killed that child. That's biblical justice. Same protection for born life as unborn life in God's word. This is a clear issue for Christians. The sixth commandment is being severely violated. (laughs) I'm giving up on that one. Not only with abortion, but also with the modern practice of euthanasia. Beginning to end. Not only do we kill our unborn children, at rapid breakneck pace, modern man is beginning to kill our elderly. 
By euthanasia, we are not talking about terminating treatment such as taking someone who is beyond medical help off a ventilator. We're not talking about that. By euthanasia, we are talking about terminating someone's life. An example of this would be administering lethal medication that kills them. This is murder. The Netherlands, there are seven countries that have uh, legalized euthanasia. The Netherlands was the first to do this in 2001. And in 20 years, we have seen how quickly that voluntary euthanasia has gone to involuntary euthanasia. And we are told that today in the Netherlands, just 20 years into this practice, that more requests come from the family of the patient to euthanize them than from the patient themselves. How's that for honoring your father and mother? Mom or dad gets dementia and you ask the doctors to off them, to rid you of this trouble that you have to deal with. It's wicked and it has the cover of modern medicine. In Canada, we see the most radical laws permitting euthanasia of anywhere in the world. It's being practiced so freely right now that you can request to be medically killed with no life-threatening disease. In fact, there's a case of a man being euthanized on the basis of hearing loss. This reminds us of the stories of Dr. Kevorkian in America in the 90s who was guilty of killing a hundred people of assisted suicide that he wickedly termed mercy killings. The youngest of his murder victims was a 21-year-old quadriplegic that his reason to be taken off of planet Earth was his life was not worth living because he had lost his limbs. Last year, 10,000 Canadians were euthanized, and the rate is growing at 30% annually in that nation. I want you to know that Jesus Christ is a better doctor. The Bible calls Jesus a good physician. And when you come to Jesus in a hopeless state without a will to live any longer, Jesus does not execute you. He gives you hope and he gives you forgiveness and he gives you resurrection life. He's the exact opposite of this wicked system. These acts masquerade as acts of love. How many times have you heard abortion referred to as reproductive justice? Euthanasia is referred to as mercy killing. Yet yet it's exactly backwards. There's nothing just about it. There's nothing compassion about it. And we need to be reminded the Nazis did this too. They were guilty of busting up human beings into those who are worthy of protection and worthy of life and those who are not worthy of life. History tells us that they were prosecuted for war crimes for what they did. Novelist Malcolm Muggeridge notes this. He says, it took only one generation to turn what was once a war crime into an act of compassion 
in our modern world. That's how backwards this world is with this commandment. You shall not murder. I will also mention that suicide is a breach of the sixth commandment. Because God has not given us the right to take our own lives. This is a modern epidemic. And this surprised me. When I saw these stats, the CDC tells us that the second leading cause of death in America for ages 10 to 34 is suicide. Today in America, there are twice as many suicides as homicides. Twice as many people in our country kill themselves than that kill one another. That's staggering to me. I will mention that suicide is not an unforgivable sin, just like murder is not an unforgivable sin. But it is a sin. It's an act of self-murder because it destroys the image of God. Many of God's servants in Scripture were brought to a low place in their life where they didn't want to live anymore. Jonah, Job, and Elijah, all three asked God to take their life from them. But we do not have the authority or the right to take our lives ourselves. Now this sin is wrapped in emotional pain, self-despair, self-deception and those things stir up our compassion and they and, and rightly so when we hear about folks that are hopeless and they don't want to live anymore that burdens our hearts and it should but suicide is a false savior because it promises to be the only way out but true peace is found through trusting Jesus Christ alone and the Bible reminds us that our lives are precious to God even when they're not precious to us. Even when we feel like our lives are pointless or unbearable, the Bible reminds us that we are made in the image of God. And so the sixth commandment exposes the hypocrisy of our modern culture of death. And so I want us to do that this morning. Behold the backwardness of the nation that has national suicide hotlines on the one hand, but kills our sick and, and dying elderly on the other. Behold the backwardness of that. Pseudo-justice. Behold the backwardness of the nation that kills our unborn children in the womb, but refuses to execute those who commit cold-blooded murder in our nation. An example of this would be the protest of a death penalty that was administered in Florida just last month. There was a man who committed a murder 40 years ago. He raped and murdered a young girl. And there was a legal protest of a justice organization. And what they weren't protesting was the fact that it took 40 years to administer justice for the wicked thing that this man had done. Instead, the protest was this, that the state was unjust 
for not giving the man hormones to transition from being a man to a woman while he was held in captivity. That's the backwardness of our world with God's word on justice. The sixth commandment exposes the culture of death. It exposes other people. But I also want us to turn the corner and remind us that it also exposes us. So there's no room in the Christian church for their guilty, guilty, guilty way out there without us turning the lens of God's Word and seeing where God's Word says we are guilty in our hearts. And Jesus does this in Matthew 5. He teaches us that the the sixth commandment is harder to keep than you think it is. I mean, think about that. How hard is it to just not kill anybody, not shed blood? If that's all it means, not shed blood. As far as I know, everybody, if not almost everybody in this room, man, we are perfectly in line with this commandment. But that's not all this commandment requires. And this is what Jesus teaches us in Matthew 5, verse 22. He says this, But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. In other words, Jesus teaches those who have never shed blood not to feel too comfortable with the sixth commandment because Jesus compares unjust anger in our hearts to murder in our hearts. Murder in our hearts. And he warns us that this heart murder can lead us to hell. You don't have to kill anybody to to wake up at the end of your life in hell forever. You can just be angry with your brother, Jesus says. And so the spiritual nature of this commandment shows us the internal requirements. And it helps us to see that none of us have obeyed the sixth commandment perfectly. Which means that we are just as deserving of punishment as that culture of death that we just indicted for the last 30 minutes. This is exactly what James 2 tells us, that to fail to keep one part of the law of God It's to fail to keep the whole thing. It's to become a lawbreaker and guilty of the whole law. And so let's be careful not to apply the commandment to everybody but ourselves. The Bible reminds us that there's coming a day when all the blood of the innocent will be avenged by God. Every single drop of it. That there's coming a day where every wrong that has ever been committed in God's world will be righted in a moment of time. And in this sense, the sixth commandment reminds us we need a Savior. As God shines the light of His holy law into our hearts, we see our sin We are not righteous enough to stand before this holy God on our own obedience. We need forgiveness of our sin. We need to be washed. We need to be cleansed. In Acts 2, Peter preaches the gospel to a crowd of Jews. And one of the things he tells them to do is to save themselves from their crooked 
generation. And they are to save themselves by repenting of their sin and believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Peter holds forward the shed blood of Jesus as the only way that we can stand clean before a holy God. The murder of Jesus Christ was the worst sin that was ever committed in the entire history of humanity. And yet, what did God do? God brought salvation itself out of a breach of the sixth commandment. In other words, that man that the Jews murdered on the cross was actually the Lamb of God who through that act was taking away the sin of the world. And so Peter announced that that very death that he just indicted them for in Acts 2, that very death that that crowd had been guilty of bringing about was the only death that could atone for their sin. So we live in a culture of death and we have blood guilt like never before seen in human history. But Jesus is the Lamb of God. He is the only one who can wash away the blood guilt of our culture of death. He is the only one who can wash our hearts clean from heart murder. And so what should we do? We should see our guilt We should see all of it. We should see ourselves as deserving of God's punishment and even God's wrath. And then we should bring that guilt to Jesus Christ. We should bring that guilt to the only one who could wash us clean from our guilt. And so I want to exhort you to do that this morning. Bring your guilt to Jesus, the only Lamb of God that can take away our sin. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we come today and we bow before you, Lord. You are righteous in all your ways. You are just in all your works. And God, we pray that you would help this morning to conform our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we ask as a church that you would cause us to love what you love and hate what you hate. Lord, we ask to be made like Jesus Christ who loved righteousness and hated wickedness. God, we ask for that heart that loves justice and we pray, Lord, that you would Produce love in our hearts towards our neighbor. Move us to protect life. Move us to value your image in every human being. God, we pray for mercy upon our modern world. God, we pray that the lies of the unbelieving worldview would be exposed and torn down in our generation. We pray that your word would run to and fro in our midst and accomplish your purpose in our generation. And we ask to be used by you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.